course of the past six weeks, we have been discussing and learning from Jesus. He has taught and taught and taught and taught. And today, we are going to reach kind of the conclusion of the entire Sermon on the Mount. And thus far, we really have learned from Jesus there is a major difference between the righteousness of the Pharisees and the righteousness of God. We've learned that there's a major difference between external appearance and the internal reality of being righteous. And so a few examples of these, if, uh, if you remember from Matthew 5, verse 21 through 26, Jesus said that the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Jewish teachers of the law, for so many years since the time of Moses, they have taught that you shall not murder. External righteousness. But Jesus says, not only should you have an external righteousness, but you should have an internal righteousness. Jesus teaches his disciples that they should not even be angry with their brother or sister. And if they are angry with someone, you're really murdering them in your heart. See, there's a difference between external righteousness and internal righteousness. Another example would be uh, just in the next section, verses 27 through 30. The teacher of the law said, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus says, don't just avoid external sin. Avoid internal sin. I tell you, don't even look lustfully at a man or a woman, because if you do, you're committing adultery in your heart. And so all through chapter 5, he gives uh, six instances, examples of the difference between external righteousness and the internal righteousness. And he continues that through chapter 6. He said the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they fast to be seen by others. They pray on street corners to be seen by others. And they give to the needy. And when they give to the needy, they announce it with trumpets. It's all about external righteousness. But Jesus says, I tell you, disciples, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus says, when you pray, just go lock yourself in a closet and remain unseen. When you fast, put oil on your head so you, you look better than normal. There's a difference between external righteousness and internal righteousness. And so with that summary of the last few weeks, like I said, we are reaching the conclusion. This is like the application section. Jesus has just given the greatest sermon in the history of the world, in our sections, including next week's sections, the kind of application. What are you going to do about it? And so if you're taking notes today, we're going to be talking about one invitation from Jesus and three warnings from Jesus. So I want to invite you at this time to hear that invitation and warnings from Jesus found in Matthew 7, 13 through 23. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, or sorry, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name? And plainly I will tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. It doesn't take long for us to come to the invitation of Jesus Christ. He says, enter through the narrow gate, disciples. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus has taught and taught and taught. And he comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he looks at his disciples in the eye and says, you have two choices. One, enter through the narrow gate and walk down the narrow path that leads to life. The second option Jesus gives is to enter through the wide gate and walk down the broad road that leads to destruction. Jesus says, you have two options, disciples. You only have two options, the narrow path or the wide path. And Jesus is very much talking about who has eternal life and who has eternal death. Jesus is very much talking about who will be saved in the end and who will be destroyed. And so the stakes are high. And so I think a fair point or a fair question to ask at this point would be what is the difference between the narrow path and the wide road? And I think the most obvious difference uh, between the wide road and the narrow path is the amount of people on each of them. The scripture clearly teaches that there are many people on the wide road that leads to destruction, while there are very few people on the narrow path that leads to life. And if you're anything like me, you're probably asking, well, what makes only a few people want to be on the narrow road, and what makes a lot of people want to be on the wide road? And I got thinking, it's kind of like any road, in, even in our lives. Why are some roads less traveled? Because of ease. Because of comfort. The narrow path is a narrow path because it is the path of demanding discipleship. The narrow path is a narrow path because it is the path of not just having this external 
righteousness, but it's also the path of having an internal righteousness. It's not just about having a righteousness of the Pharisees that's all performance-based, but it's an actual righteousness of God. If we go through the Sermon on the Mount, why is the narrow path the narrow path? Because it is the path of being the salt of the earth and light of the world. The narrow path is a narrow path because it means you have a righteousness that surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees. This is the narrow path because it's the path of not just not killing, but not even being angry with your brother and sister. It's a narrow path because you are being reconciled with those that you wrong, and you're reconciling with those who wrong you. It's a narrow path because it's not just not about committing adultery, but Jesus says it's a narrow path because you're not even going to look lustfully at a man or a woman. We're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount. It's a narrow path. Why? Because it's not the path of divorce. It's a narrow path because it's a path of complete honesty. It's a narrow path because it's not the path of retribution and revenge, but it's a path of loving your enemies and doing right to those who wrong you. This is the narrow path because it's a path of giving to the needy in secret, praying in secret, fasting in secret. It's a narrow path because you're not storing up for yourself treasures here on earth, but you are being completely dependent upon the one true God to take care of you. It's the one true path and the narrow path because it's a path of not judging others. It's a narrow path because it's a path of loving others as you love yourself. It's a path of demanding discipleship, Jesus says. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus once again looks at his disciples and says, whoever wants to follow me, that is, whoever wants to be my disciple, that is, whoever wants to walk through the narrow gate and down the narrow path, Jesus says, that person, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. The narrow road is the road less traveled because it is the path of self-expenditure. It is the path of waking up every single day saying, I'm going to crucify myself today. I'm not going to live for myself, but I'm going to live for King Jesus. It's a path of saying, I am no longer Lord of my life, but Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I'm not going to do what I want. I'm not going to be the master. I'm not going to be the boss, but Jesus, you're going to be the boss. That is why... It is a narrow path. Meanwhile, Jesus says the other option is quite simple. It's a wide road. And it's a wide road, and it's a broad road, and it has a lot of people on that road. Why? Because it's a spot of comfort. It's a spot of ease. You're not alone. You can do what you want. You can live life however you see fit. And this path is a busy path. It's full of people because all those who are wicked, who deliberately rebel against God, 
they are filling up this path. But shockingly, the wide road and the broad road is also full of religious people. This road is full of half-hearted religious people. This road is full of people who have a religiousness such as the Pharisees. And so Jesus invites his disciples to enter into the narrow gate. And after he gives his disciples this invitation, he gives them the first warning. Warning number one, watch out for the wide gate because the wide gate and broad road lead to destruction. So Jesus is looking at his disciples saying, in light of everything that I've taught you in the Sermon on the Mount, you have two choices. Put it into practice and follow me down the narrow path or live a life of rebellion or simply live a life like the Pharisees who only have an external righteousness. And you will end up on the broad road that leads to destruction. So I think right now is a good time to pause in this message. I think Jesus wants us to ask the question, what path are we on? What path are you on? Are you on the narrow path? Are you living a demanding life of discipleship? Are you obeying Christ as found in the Sermon on the Mount? Or are you on the wide path? living a life of either half-hearted religious commitment or a complete life of rebellion. What path are you on? After Jesus issues this first warning to his disciples, he moves on to the second warning. In Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. A prophet is a spokesperson for God, right? So in the Old Testament, if someone was a prophet, they would speak on behalf of God. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, watch out for false prophets. So people who claim to speak on the behalf of God, but don't. Who aren't really speaking on behalf of God. And Jesus begins to describe these people. In verse 15, he says, These false prophets will come to you in sheep's clothing, externally speaking, but inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. So they're going to look good on the outside, but inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. And again, I want you to see, what is Jesus doing again? He's comparing and contrasting. He's showing the major difference between external appearance in an inner reality. He's making a clear distinction between outside righteousness, external righteousness, and an internal righteousness. And so, who do you think these false prophets are? Probably the Pharisees. And he begins to uh, say that the disciples would be able to recognize these false prophets by their fruit. And I love this part because Jesus goes into probably the most simple teaching he has ever given. You guys ever read the Bible and it's like, what in the world does that mean? 
Happens all the time. Sometimes the Bible's confusing. But this is not one of those passages. Jesus is so simple. It's so clear. Jesus says, in this incredibly simple teaching, good trees bear good fruit. In bad trees, they bear bad fruit. So you guys following so far? Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Uh, But then he gets a little more complicated, and he says, um, good trees cannot bear bad fruit. And he says, bad trees cannot bear good fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Good trees can't bear bad fruit, and bad trees can't bear good fruit. Jesus is clearly talking and referring to deeds when he speaks of fruit. And I think we learn an important lesson from Jesus. A person's fruit shows us the true character of the person. A person's deed shows what's truly inside a person. And so it would be impossible for a a good person from God, one of God's children, to consistently produce bad fruit. And it would be impossible for someone who is apart from God to produce good fruit. So Jesus teaches us, fruit indicates a lot about a person. And after saying this, he says, watch out. For those people, those religious people, those false prophets who claim to speak on behalf of God, who do not live their life accordingly. This leads us to the final section. And in my opinion, one of the most terrifying passages in the entire Bible. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This story describes deceived disciples. This story actually describes people who are no disciples at all. Jesus, in this hypothetical judgment day situation says these people came to him and they called him Lord, Lord. And these religious people, they did some pretty incredible religious acts too. They prophesied in the name of Jesus. They drove out demons in the name of Jesus. They performed miracles in the name of Jesus. These people did all these great external righteous things. But they get to Jesus on Judgment Day, and Jesus says, Depart from me. Away from me, you evildoers. And if you're like me, you're saying, What? How? How can this be? 
These people called Jesus Lord. He said, Lord, Lord. These people did religious acts that I personally have never done. They prophesied in the name of Jesus. They drove out demons in the name of Jesus. They performed miracles in the name of Jesus. But they get to Jesus on judgment day, and Jesus says, depart from me. You guys are evildoers. we got to ask how. And the answer is found in the very last word, evil doers. Evil doers. Once again, these people had the external righteousness. They said the right things, but they did not have the inner righteousness that Jesus called his disciples to. And so this leads us to warning number three. Don't let your outward religiosity deceive you when it comes to salvation. Do not let your outward religiosity deceive you when it comes to salvation. And right now, I want to make it abundantly clear, we are not saved by doing good deeds. We cannot earn our salvation. If there's anybody here today who says to God, I can earn my way to heaven because of my good deeds, I want to warn you, you're acting just like a Pharisee and thinking just like a Pharisee, of a righteousness of performance, and we know how Jesus feels about Pharisees. We cannot earn our salvation by doing good works. We are saved through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But Jesus is being abundantly clear in Matthew 7. And the main point that I think Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples is this. God fruit is the inevitable result of someone who surrenders to Jesus It's the inevitable result of somebody who trusts in Jesus. And good fruit is the inevitable result of someone who follows Jesus. Good fruit being loving God and loving your neighbor. God fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. God fruit is obeying Jesus as found in the Sermon on the Mount. And so obedience, God fruit, good deeds, obedience is the inevitable result of true followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is making that abundantly clear here. If we go to the book of John, in John chapter 14, Jesus said this, Anyone who loves me will obey me. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So I realize this is from a a different gospel, but it's teaching the same principle. If you love Jesus, you'll obey Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, you won't obey Jesus. There may be some of you sitting here today beginning to get uncomfortable, thinking I've been talking way too much about obedience. You might be thinking I'm talking way too much about good deeds. 
But the reason why I'm talking about good deeds and obedience is because Jesus talks a lot about obedience. Once again, we are not saved through our obedience, but obedience is the inevitable result of one who trusts in Jesus. And for those of you who want some Paul, Pauline theology, uh, I did bring some Paul for you. Uh, and Paul actually seems to agree with Jesus. In Galatians 5, verses 19 through 24, he says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Hear these words from Paul. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He continues in verse 24. Just skip to the very last uh, uh, verse on the screen behind me. Verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ, those who are Christ's disciples, those who follow Christ down uh, through the narrow gate and down the narrow path, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you belong to Christ, you're going to be actively killing sin in your life. You're going to be actively trying to conform your life to look like Jesus Christ. And I think James might say it best. In James 2, verses 14 through 19, he says, this is James, the brother of Jesus, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Implying, no. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Obedience, God fruit, is proof, evidence of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now I realize that this could be a difficult message to hear. I realize this could be a challenging message to hear. But I want to share with you the good news about this message. It's full of blessing. I want to remind you the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus laying out how true disciples in his kingdom live. And how did Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount? He started it by saying, blessed. He said that word nine times. And that exactly is the result of the one who follows Jesus Christ. Blessedness. That blessedness is not an earthly blessing. It has nothing to do with material possessions. It's all about joy. It's all about, literally means happy. Like happy in, the, in the, the, the deepest sense of the word. Happy, joyful, fully satisfied. And so Jesus is saying those who 
follow out the Sermon on the Mount, walk through the narrow gate, down the narrow path, you are going to have a fully satisfied life. And we're not talking about eternity. We're talking about here on this earth. Your life here on this earth is not boring. It's full of joy. It's full of satisfaction. It's who God created you to be. That's when we find our true fulfillment is when we find our lives in accord and obedience with Jesus Christ. And as somebody uh, who has personally lived on both paths, I want to give a testimony. When I lived a life of half-hearted obedience to Jesus Christ, and the times in my life when I deliberately disobeyed Jesus Christ, my life was a miserable life. It was full of guilt, it was full of shame, it was full of anger, it was full of anxiety, it was a miserable existence. But when I became a Christian and I repented of the evil ways and began to walk down the narrow path, I began to see my anxiety that I once had disappeared. Anxiety turned to peace. The anger that I was experiencing, it turned to joy. Instead of being bound, I found freedom. I found forgiveness. I found fulfillment. Found satisfaction. You find true life when you pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. Amen. And so... Jesus ended his sermon by offering his disciples two choices. Walk down the narrow path that leads to life or walk down the wide road that leads to death and destruction. And I want to leave you and this message the same way by offering you the two options that Jesus offered his disciples. Some of you here today may be sitting here and saying, I'm content walking on the wide path of disobedience. You may be saying, I like this path. I'm Lord, I'm master, I'm king, I can do whatever I want. That's true. But hear the warning of Jesus. It ends in damnation. But others of you perhaps may have been like me, are like me, you're seeing, wow, this path is not all that it cracks up to be. It's a miserable path. It's a path of anxiety and anger and bitterness and guilt and shame. And if today is the day that you are ready to say, I'm done with this and I'm ready to follow Jesus and step through the narrow gate and onto the narrow path that leads to life, here's how you do it. The first prerequisite is that you simply believe. You believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in his perfect life, his sinless life. Secondly, you believe in his sacrificial death upon the cross that purifies us from all of our sin. Thirdly, you believe in the glorious resurrection. You believe that he has ascended to the right hand of God where he says one day he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. And if you are here today, you believe in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, and if you believe he's going to come back one day, 
Jesus invites you to repent meaning stop living this life of wickedness, stop living this half-hearted life of religiosity, stop just having an outward religiosity and begin to turn to Jesus. Live a life of obedience to Jesus, complete obedience to Jesus, complete abandonment as mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says if you believe and repent, you will be saved. And so, Orchard Hill Church, let me end with the most important question you will ever be asked. What path are you going to take?